Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Mildred Tassoni, and today's show is Real Estate Coast to Coast. Um, we have Diane Solano with Keller Williams uh, Commercial Greater Nassau. Hi, Diane. How are you? Good morning. How is everybody? Good. And we have Michelle Cox with uh, Centered Staging and Design in Nashville, Tennessee. How are you, Michelle? I'm good, thanks. Good. Um, And hopefully we will have uh, Jason Marcus with Continental Home Loan uh, joining us. He's uh, in the middle of something, but we'll be hopefully dialing in um, towards the end of the show. So uh, today what we're going to do is we're going to start with Michelle, and she's going to talk about staging, the importance of it, some of her projects that she's had success with. Then Diane will go into some commercial uh, real estate issues and topics of the day. So uh, anyway, Michelle, why don't you get us started and uh, give us a little bit um of a background on your business and and how you're working with the uh, Nashville Realtors. Okay. Well, um, my business is home staging and design, and um, I started it about two and a half to three years ago because I I have such a passion for um, anything having to do with homes and real estate and design. So um, it's a perfect fit for me. And... Um, I see myself as um, a good complement to realtors' um, marketing plans for um, getting their homes sold, and uh, I'm not I'm not really sure where to go from here. But <laughs> well, no, no, I'm you're right. I mean, that, and, and to talk about. Yeah, well, why don't you tell us about some of the things? First of all, one topic that you and I have spoken about um, is uh, price reductions. By, by staging, right. you can help get uh, a higher price and create the feeling. So why don't you talk about Absolutely. how you go about doing that? Okay. Well, um, I, I read an article recently um, written by a woman named Deborah Gold of a staging diva, and she talked about stagers being the linchpin to realtors. And I really agree with that because a stager can come in. Well, what I do is I go into a home and I use my intuitive sense to let the home speak to me and tell me how it's meant to be lived in. And as soon as I get that picture of how that home is meant to be lived in, then I design my staging plan um, to meet the the absolute criteria that I think that home is the type of buyer that is going to be most attracted to that home. And um, it just, I can, I take all the furnishings and all the accessories and all the color combinations that I choose are um, chosen according to what type of buyer I think that home is going to attract. And um, it's, it's pretty standard across the board, the type of furnishings um, that go into every home, whether it's a $100,000 home or a $700,000 home, but it's just a matter of choosing um, really desirable color combinations and fabrics and um, letting that home speak to the buyer and say, this is how you can live in me, and this is a family room. I know it's a family room because 
You know, there's a place for the couch, there's a place for the TV. This is the front door. The buyer knows it's the front door because I've designated it as such with a beautiful welcome mat. And um, and just, you know, making it so that the buyer doesn't have to use their imagination when they walk into the home about how they would live in that home. Everything that I've put in it tells them immediately how they can live in that home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I so think... I, Oh, sorry. <laughs> so no, I go. see that as a, and I just see that as saving so much time and money for the homeowners and the realtors because instead of having a home sit on the market for a year and have you know buyers coming in and out kind of confused about the layout or um, you know whatever other issues may be happening with that home, they can walk in and when it's staged. Um, there's just immediate information given to the buyer about the beauty that that home has to offer. Well, Michelle, uh, yeah, I, uh, I could see I could see two major points that you could be an asset. Um, one of the points would be I believe that by proper staging, um, the homeowner will probably get a better price. Um, absolutely. You know, for that, um, you will compel. You're trying to at least compel, um, you know, uh, a buyer to feel comfortable in the home, and thereby giving giving a you know a, a, you know allowing a, a higher purchase price, and uh, uh, you know something else too. There is a lot of competition out there right now, and right. you have exactly. to have you have to be at the cutting edge, because you know if exactly. you're not, there is you know distressed properties and which is a whole other topic. But you know, distressed right. properties, and there is a lot of inventory. So Absolutely. by by having that edge that you have, um, you can you know um, be be a very very good asset, not just for you know a, a broker, but you would be a great asset for the the current homeowner in the in the in their in their right. sale. Right. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I just staged a home yesterday, and the realtor called me. The home had been on the market for a year, and she said that what was happening was buyers were making comments about um, it having a confusing layout. And the reason why is because it had, the house has two front doors. And so pe- buyers were confused immediately as soon as they approached the house, you know, <laughs> how to even get in it. And um, I just spent some time in the home and kind of just, like I said, used my intuitive sense about how, why did the builder build that home that way? I mean, every home is built to be lived in, so there is a method (laughs) when they're building the home to, um, you know, having people be happy and living there. So I ended up staging one of the front doors as the area off of the living room and, um, and designated the other front door as the official front door and I think that's going to work really well, and that's, you well, know, I think that's Michelle, let me, let, me ask, let me ask you a question, because this could, you know, almost potentially work for commercial, too. Um, yeah. The cost of, of hiring you um, as a consultant or, you know, I, I don't know how you, how you necessarily work that out, but the cost mm-hmm. of hiring you um, needs to be factored in, but I'm sure that there is a major payoff well up and above, uh, you know, working with you. Do you yeah, have any absolutely. statistics on, yeah. uh, you know, an increase in value by hiring you? Well, I mean, I know a little bit about um, 
some of the statistics that I've read recently, um, there's some information in uh, the top DI, the top do it yourself improvements for sellers of 2011 um, mentions that there's about a 300% return on investment when you stage a home. And um, I mean, for my rate, the way I work is I charge a flat rate regardless of the size or condition of the home because I I use a standard staging plan pretty much for every home. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, like I said, I, I I tailor my color combinations and the style of furniture that I use. Um, by, uh, you know, what the style of the home is. But I just want it to be easy for realtors to work with me and be able to just know what my rate is and um, be able to convey that to their client and not have there be any confusion. So that's mm-hmm. the way I work. And then there's also um, what the what this um, website also mentions is that home staging now is the third most important home improvement that a a homeowner can do when before putting their house in the market. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty significant. That that it, is that is. is an interesting yeah. statistic. Um, and you know, Diane, it's funny that because I was thinking staging for commercial is 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 something because there's so many properties that are available. Again. Yeah. Would that how how would that might work uh, for some properties? Obviously, not a warehouse, but um, an instance just happened yesterday. I got a very nice exclusive on a you know twenty five thousand square foot you know portion in an industrial an industrial park, and um, you know the owner you know previous tenant left and left you know left it kind of you know the rug needs to be redone and the walls and so I had to go through with him of how to leave it and how to let it look best for a new tenant coming into this space, even though a large portion of it is warehouse. However, there were still things that needed to be taken care of, such as, you know, um, you know, painting the rafters. Uh, they should be painted either either black or white, you know, you know, comparison to how they should be. The floor mm-hmm. should be left black. Take the old rugs out. Uh, we paint it. Don't paint it in white because it doesn't look so good. We paint it in a nice beige color, um, clean up the windows, replace the blinds, do all the, you know. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from, from our own point, you know, staging could also work very well for the commercial sector. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of office space that, you know, the you know the owners leave the old rugs and they leave it out. When somebody comes in, they'll tell me what to do. But that's not a good idea. Yeah, um, that's, you know, so you, a good you You also have to advise them. And I'm just using it for instance just just yesterday. Um just you know, that's just one for instance, but when you're renting office space it's the it's the same thing. Even if yeah. you're renting a, you know, a basement office space, you have to still present it as uh, you know, to compel that tenant to want to come in or or that owner for that matter who wants to purchase mm-hmm. a particular property. You know, you need to clean up the landscape. You need to make sure that the driveways are clean. And, you know, there's, there's you know, staging involved, not as much as with a house, obviously. <laughs> but, um, but it's very important to, you know, give a, give a, give the best impression that that um, space or home can yeah. allow. Um, I see that Jason has joined us. Jason, you there? Hi, Mildred. Hi, how are you? This is Jason Marcus with Continental Home Loans. Um, Michelle started off, and Diane, uh, uh, Jason, do you want to talk next and give us a, an idea on 
some of the um you know the new process for being approved and be, before you go thank you so much michelle i stay on thank with you. us but I Absolutely. think uh, that's a good a good overview on how to start and why staging is important. So, um, Jason, if you could uh, fill us in now. Sure. Um, the process, obviously, over the course of the last um, six to eight months has changed pretty drastically on what banks are looking for. And the more thorough um, we are at just going through the pre-approval process, the more likelihood of a client obviously getting inevitably approved. We're seeing um, statistics showing that almost now one in every third application is being denied by banks. And a lot of it, um, if properly done at the beginning, is certainly could have been avoided. Um, just to begin, at this point in time, Unlike the past, um, we require their tax returns up front, even for the pre-approval process. Back, well, um, you know, a couple of years ago, it was as easy as, okay, what's your income? Send me a paycheck. All right, let me see a bank statement. Okay, you're fine. We ran the credit. Everything looks good. But now, um, since tax returns are being more scrutinized and they're basically subtracting um, income that's appearing on these tax returns, it's been a lot trickier in calculating income. I'll give you a for example. On a tax return, there's um, on basically the second page of your tax return, um, you have the option to either doing um, itemized deductions or taking the standard deduction. Now, most people will do itemized deductions and start writing off things. When they're writing off things, there's a column on their Schedule A, which is called um, unreimbursed expenses. Now, a lot of people with their jobs, they're able to write off certain um, expenses that they have, which are considered unreimbursed. Now, that gets subtracted from your income. Same thing with um, losses of capital gains. That gets subtracted from your income. A lot of people that are purchasing second homes or investment properties um, there's a lot of, it's not the way where it used to be, where it's as simple as, okay, get a lease and we're going to use this income. Now, if it doesn't appear as on your tax returns themselves, let's say if you have an existing home where you had a rental income and you have a corresponding mortgage payment for that, once again, it's like if it's not on that tax return and they don't see that, becoming very, very difficult for people to buy that second home. The logic behind it is the bank's, um, realize that you're more likely if you get in trouble to let these secondary homes go into foreclosure than your primary residence. So they've gotten very, very tough on the rules and regulations in regards to qualifying people based off this. So my most important suggestion is if you are using a loan um, representative and they, they pre-approve you without looking at your tax returns, you're playing with fire because it's very, very dangerous. You really need somebody that knows what they're doing up front to make sure you're not going to run into issues. And that's just the tip of the iceberg in this part of the process. Another thing that has been happening more and more in there, um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have been, you know, counteracting with these crazy rules which are causing all sorts of headaches, and it's probably going to get worse, is paying off debt to qualify. 
that's become a huge issue where people think it's just okay. Oh, you know, I have $2,000 on this credit card. It's a $100 payment. I'm just going to knock it out, and that'll make it so that way I can qualify. Well, unfortunately, if you do do that, A, you should do that prior to going to contract, but even if you do or don't, they're going to most likely make you close down that account after you do pay it off because naturally they logically think, okay, they might just be paying it off, and then as soon as they get into this house, they're going to recharge against that credit card. problem with that is when you start closing accounts, this can affect your credit scores. As you can see, Mildred, like you can, it, it easily can become um, – a domino effect, which could also hurt your possibility of getting a loan. So these are the little things that um, us at Continental and the better loan officers out there are looking for up front to make sure you're not running into these problems. When, as a realtor, especially at the very beginning of the process as you're starting to take people out, it becomes so imperative that they speak to a loan rep even as long as a month or two before you're even planning on starting the process to make sure your ducks are in a row. Because along with these new rules and regs, you still have your existing um, rules, which have been in effect for forever, which is, you know, sourcing and following the paper trail on where the money's coming from. I get constant phone calls where it's like, I'm getting uh, $20,000 from my dad okay, um, how is that coming? Where is it coming from? And all of a sudden, I get a bank statement and there's a $20,000 cash deposit into an account. That's a red flag. That's a problem. These things have become so convoluted and so complex that you can go about it the right way and simplify your life and making sure that you can get these things done. But the more ahead of the curve, uh, more ahead of getting into contract that you can get these things all situated, the smarter you are as a consumer and the better of a real estate agent to suggest that, obviously, you Jason, are as well. I was, um, was going to be bringing up a topic, uh, you know, one of, one of which I'm working on right now. I have a gymnastics company that has about 30,000 square feet of, you know, industrial space. They're looking to potentially buy as opposed to rent, okay? Um and I, you know, I'd like you to maybe instruct people out there, you know, about the SBA loans and is it, is it better to? Uh, of course, I'm, I'm sure everything is, is, is variable, but as far as um, you know, mortgages is concerned, um, with with an SBA loan with you know 51% of, of occupancy on any particular property, um, they they're very, they're very favorable um, to looking on owner occupied. Properties and the other part that I wanted to bring in from the commercial end of it is there are a lot of in you know there there is a lot of investment property out there right now inventory is high there's motivated there's motivated sellers and it's a good time if you have any money if you have any good money to put down on a property now might be your timing seems to be you know right in the sweet spot right now. So I was going to be asking you, Jason, about the SBA loans, and maybe you could, you know, potentially uh, explain that to the listeners here. 
Well, those types of loans obviously are portfolio type loans, which are in a different category on what I was just talking about. Like naturally, uh, yeah. the conversation that I was just informing everybody about basically has to do solely with the purchases of residential mortgages that are getting sold to Wall Street, which are oh, your, no. pretty I, much I your vanilla conventional loan. They're, they're two different types, but while I have you on the phone, I was bringing up the commercial SBA loans. <laughs> no, I, I, I understand. Those, obviously, um, when commercial lenders are looking at um, per prospective mortgages against properties, um, it's a little bit different, whereas you, when you're doing residential mortgages, they're looking at you and your portfolio and your income versus um, on the commercial side, it's more of the productivity of the building the itself and the income generation that's going to wind up happening there. And exactly what you said is accurate. Banks love owner-occupied versus it being an investment property. They feel that the risk is far less. And a mm -hmm. lot of the times the loan-to-values and the amount that they require putting down um, – is substantially less when you're going to wind up occupying it as opposed to using it as an investment. The trickiest part on the commercial end, unlike the residential, as you will know as an agent dealing with these things, is the comps and trying to get an accurate feel mm -hmm. on what an appraiser is going to appraise these things for. Because that's probably where I run into the most um, difficulties when I'm doing these types of loans is mm -hmm. that a, a realtor comes in, especially – um, people that are, let's just say, agents that deal primarily with residential and a commercial property falls in their lap, which unfortunately mm -hmm. is a large percentage of the people mm -hmm. that are listing. And these guys, are most of the time, are so off base and they're just throwing darts against the wall in regards to figuring mm -hmm. out what the actual value of these things are. I lose a yeah. lot of these deals just based on the fact that they're sold for $600,000 and appraiser gets in there and they appraise it for 400 because it's not like yeah. there's a similar building next door, which does the exact same, you know, has the exact same business in it. It's generating the same income and then obviously your liabilities. So that part of it gets a little bit trickier, but mm -hmm. obviously there are still a lot of different products out there um, to help people buy those types of properties. Um, thank you, Jason. Uh, we have about uh, seven minutes left. So, Diane, do you want to give us uh, an overview of your view of the market right now and some of the topics that you wanted to discuss as well? Um, well, there are numerous topics to discuss that I, you know, I would – I like to actually one of one of which I was going to be talking about, which uh, I brought up with Jason since Jason was on the phone. Right. Um, I wanted, you know, which I, you know, which I brought up and killed two birds with one stone. So, yeah. So uh, thank you, thank you, Jason, for your input. Um, oh, no that was going to be one of the topics, no problem. And uh, also something else that we were speaking with Michelle about uh, was, you know, staging proper, um, you know, getting getting uh, either tenants or buyers motivated to buy a particular or rent a particular space. Um, now, that was also another good topic. So I'm kind of out of my other two topics. So um, I'm going to probably talk about um, retail, okay? Uh, mm -hmm. One of the things which came out of, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the ICSC, which is the uh, International 
Council of Shopping Centers, which took place uh, in Las Vegas this, uh, you know, a couple of months ago. Um, one of the major things that came out of that, uh, the statistics are showing that for commercial properties, I'm, I'm talking uh, specifically about retail, um, the retail market is, is changing. Uh, basically, you know, your mom-and-pop retail centers, um, you know, anything that is, you know, 10 stores and under type thing, you know, community, we'll call them community centers, that type thing, are getting hit the hardest because um, they're, they're individual owners. They're not necessarily worthy of, you know, shop, you know, major uh, shopping centers, supermarkets, and, you know, uh, you know, major franchises, big box type things. But what's happening, they're getting hit the hardest, but the actual two type retails are actually growing and expanding. They are looking to expand in various areas. Of course, of course it, it matters on the particular locale. But the two, uh, the two types of retail are, A, your upscale uh, retailers and your discount retailers. And believe it or not, auto parts. Um, so anything where people have money, want to spend money, or people who are looking to, um, you know, downsize their 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 budget, um, the other on, onto the other extreme. Almost anything which is in the middle, getting hit the hardest. And this is one of the, uh, you know, one of the statistics that that came out from that, um, you know, from that uh, convention. And mm-hmm. it's you know it's interesting. And Long Island, as you know, is full. We're actually the highest retail um, ratio in the country. <laughs> okay, yeah. so here we are in yes in New York and especially Long Island. We actually have the highest retail ratio. So um, there is a lot of mom and pops out there and a lot of small retailers, but. Um, you know, retail people who are looking to open up businesses, and business brokerage is actually a, a very good, uh, very good business to be in right now because a lot of people are buying jobs. You know, they're they're buying they're buying a business. They can't find jobs, so they buy a business. But uh, that's neither here, here nor there. But a lot of those businesses that are being bought are being bought, um, you know, in major retail centers seems that the, the you know the, the middle the middle of the road stuff people want to still get into a larger hub area okay as and opposed want- to as opposed to a smaller uh a smaller strip yeah. mall say they would want to oh, go to well, a larger yeah i mean let's from i'm going to give you two examples from from a broker standpoint and from a tenant standpoint who's looking to take up who's looking to take up a business now if well, I'm going to tell you actually from from being a mother. If you if you're a mother and you have two kids in tow, okay, and you know school's about to start and you have errands and you have ten places to go, where are you going to go? You're going to go to the area where there is the most shopping available, okay. Mm-hmm. You don't really go to an area that you know you have to go way out of your way for one or two stores. You're going to go to an area where there is 20 stores or 50 stores that you can get all your shopping done and all your errands done in one area. A, you save, mm-hmm. you save gas, you save time, you save crying kids. That's from a mother's standpoint. From a, from a landlord's standpoint, you also want the same thing. You, you, you know, you, you look for shopping centers, a very hot commodity now, 
for for um, investors to look for grocery store anchored um, uh, shopping centers. That's what everybody mm. is looking for, something with a very, very good angle which is going to draw in the public. Mothers are going to want a CVS or, you know, various things that they could put all together in almost a one-stop shop. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then you look at it from the tenant standpoint who's looking to take up space. That tenant is, again, going to be looking for exactly what the landlord's looking for and exactly what the mothers are looking for or the fathers, for that matter, um, mm-hmm. you know babysitters or whatever. That's where everybody wants to go. So, you know, the small shopping centers are, um, you know, I don't want to say a thing of the past, but they they don't, in, in today's um, fragile market that we're in right now, especially especially mm-hmm. with retailers, multifamily is always going to be around and everything like that, and offices are still going to be around. But the fragile retail, um, everyone is going to the hub areas and the hub shopping centers. Um, okay. And Yes. We have about uh, 90 seconds. So um, what I'd like to do is ask, uh, invite all of you for next week's show to do another segment um, because I know Diane and I had some questions as we were talking. Michelle, I'd like, uh, I have some more things that I wanted to talk with you about and of course Jason. Um, And um, so if that's okay, we'll do another show next week and we'll follow up with uh, some of the questions that we've been asked and the things that we didn't get to. So um, uh, I'd like to thank Diane Solano, who's with Keller Williams Commercial Greater Nassau, um, Michelle Cox with Center Staging and Design, and Jason Marcus with Continental uh, Home Loans. Um, Any final comments? Anybody have Anything they didn't get to say? Well, I know there's things you didn't get to say, but uh. <laughs> thank you for um, having me. And I, I would definitely come back next week. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, no, I good. think it's so great. Many, there are so many things to talk about, right, Michelle? Absolutely, I've enjoyed this conversation. Yes, great. Well, we're just wrapping it up. Thank you so much. We'll see you next show. Bye. Take care, okay. Mildred. Bye. Thank Thanks. You.